0: Sub-Saharan Africa's largest shipping terminal works to clear massive backlogs due to the floods in KwaZulu-Natal. We're going to tally up the cost and the impact of this devastation. Inflation has accelerated to 5.9% nearing the top of the Reserve Bank's upper targeting band. But what now for core inflation? And finally, some good news. Could the tourism sector be on its way to recovery? This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. We're going to start with the tragedy in KwaZulu-Natal, where the worst floods in 60 years have taken lives, have destroyed homes, infrastructure and business. And the president has declared a national state of disaster in the province. Now, as rebuilding efforts continue, the full picture of the scale of the destruction is unfolding. Today, we're going to look at the impact on South Africa's supply chains that have already been stretched to breaking point due to disruptions from the conflict in Ukraine and harsh COVID lockdowns in China. Let me welcome to the conversation now, Dennis Hobson, Head of Logistics at Investec for Business. Dennis, we all watch the news in disbelief as massive shipping containers floated down a flooded N2 Highway in Ettaquini. Maybe let's start with this. Take us through the extent of the damage to the Durban port and what it's actually meant for ongoing daily
1: operations. So I think the first thing, actual damage to the port was relatively low. The main uh, issues were really, it was the debris floating around the harbour itself, restricting vessel movement. The closure of Bayed Road was a significant impact because containers couldn't be collected or gated back into port. There was also staff not being able to get to work, so that reduced productivity and had a, an impact on the, on the port's actual productivity. You also had the rail services being suspended, so significant damage to the rail services, especially on the Durban-Johannesburg line. And then you also had impact on, on vessels, not being able to berth or discharge containers for a few days. Some decided to cut and run and move down to Kucha and they discharged containers down in Kucha. So it's quite a, a wide impact, but the port itself wasn't as severely damaged.
0: But cumulatively, if you look at all of that, it was detrimental to operation, surely?
1: No, absolutely. The impact of the situation with the floods really delayed containers being moved out of the port. So, you know, importers couldn't get their hands on stock. Exports, you couldn't export out, or the port wasn't receiving containers. You also had limited capacity from an access point of view to the port then you also had, you know, severe disruption and destruction to surrounding infrastructure, you know, warehouses, distribution centers. And that's where, you know, the impacts are still being assessed. We know the likes of Toyota and Sassel have come out with with updates saying that they have been disrupted quite significantly, but they're still assessing the full extent of damage.
0: And as we look at that extent of damage, obviously, we're starting to deal now with a backlog.
1: Yes. Yeah, so there's, uh, I'll start with the export side. We're also going to the reefers season with uh, citrus exports. So that's a big concern. You've got, you know, changing port loadings. So for example, instead of loading out of Durban, the exporters are looking at going via Kucha or Cape Town and that brings additional costs as well as additional lead times. On the import side, you have said vessels bypassing, so it increases the lead time in terms of importers receiving their stock, manufacturing delays because of stock shortages or component shortages, and you know, you've also got the inability of some of the DCs not being able to get stock out. The other side is some of the transporters are impacted as you know, they're not able to, to make as many trips as they would like, and the lead time in terms of getting containers to deliver or gating into the port also takes longer.
0: So Dennis, from a consumer, from a manufacturing and from a distribution perspective, we will be feeling these knock-on effects for quite some
1: time. I think it depends on what industry or segment we look into. So for example, you know, there's definite case of, you know, if people are waiting for vehicles to be manufactured by Toyota or had been manufactured and, and were waiting delivery, some have been damaged and that's been reported. So in, in that extent, there will be a, a delay. There will be delays on certain commodities, you know, where they're be a retailer that's had significant warehouse damage and assessing stock of had stock losses. And then you have a few of the, the warehouses that actually unpack containers that were badly flooded and actually declared force majeure. So importers will feel an impact to some extent going forward.
0: And always difficult, isn't it, to estimate the cost of disruptions like this to a supply chain? but. Whatever it is, it is considerable.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, I think it's all counting all the costs. And it will take a while to actually fully understand and quantify the, the costs. Every day we see new reports coming out with uh, additional costs, you've also got you know, the long-term impact, whether it be directly or, or indirectly. Time will tell what cost that will will be on the industry too. So you know, just for example, if you've got cargo that should have been moved up via rail, you know, it's significantly cheaper relative to to road haul uh, delivery. Those containers need to be road hauled up now. So you know, additional cost from that point of view, if you were going to take your container from Kucha Port instead of Durban, it's additional cost from Kucha up to Johannesburg compared to the Durban-Johannesburg route. And there's also you know, potential of lost sales too, both on retailers on the import side as well as manufacturing delays and then also on the export side on international contracts.
0: So you've mentioned motor vehicles, but what about shortage of other products?
1: Depending again on the, on the industry, there will be, I'd say, temporary delays with your manufacturing. So whether it be waiting for certain components that have been stuck in port or vessels have been delayed from berthing. So those are, are really more temporary. The biggest delay will come where, for example, it was a warehouse that's been damaged and there have been a couple and they've lost you know, an entire line item or, or stock unit. That's where you're going to get um, shortages appearing on the shelves.
0: So in conclusion, then, let's just widen the scope if we can. This is obviously another blow for global supply chains. In your latest logistics update, you write that hopes for a more stable year for air and sea freight handlers are fading due to the war in Ukraine, which is intensifying. We are reading reports of lockdowns in China. How do you think the next couple of months are going to play out in terms of global trade?
1: The next couple of months is really going to be very difficult and frustrating. I'll start with the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict and what that's meant so far. So the obvious side would be you've got increasing commodity prices, which increases your input costs. You have certain stock component shortages, which has delayed production on on certain products. You've got a reduction in trucking capacity within Europe as well. Now, that's really created additional congestion within the ports, taking longer for ports to be cleared out of Europe. It's led to vessel sailing delays which means that your import cargo is also delayed from an inbound point of view. So those are just some of the the direct impacts that we've seen, as well as obviously the the spike in in fuel prices, which has started to come through uh, within the supply chain cost itself. From a China point of view and the lockdowns, it's rather worrying at the moment. At times it intensifies. We've seen that in Shanghai, for example, you know, manufacturing in certain areas has really been hindered badly. You've had delays of, of goods being shipped out. You've got future delays where manufacturing is needing to catch up. So your future orders then get pushed out further. You've got severe trucking shortages. And a lot of the truckers are are hesitant to move between various provinces or areas that are in lockdown. And that's obviously impacting the, the capacity from both a collection of containers from port as well as uh, transporting to the port or collecting from warehouses. And that same impact also flows across into the air freight side. So just on the air freight side itself, we know that. The Pudong International Airport, which is Shanghai's main airport, has restricted cargo movement. We've had airlines actually cancel flights, so that's reduced capacity and, and meant that cargoes had to move out of other air freight hubs within in China. That also brings additional costs and lead times as well as bottlenecks. So down the line, what, what I expect is once the country starts relaxing some of the lockdown regulations and, and they start ramping up, the manufacturing and output side, that you're going to get a flux of of demand coming through, which is going to be in line with when you start to see the peak shipping period globally from China. And that's really going to push up demand for capacity, put the shipping lines under pressure, which is also likely to increase your lead times as well as your freight rates. So planning going forward is going to be critical and needing to stay very close both with your suppliers, with your financial service provider, as well as your actual forwarding agents. It's going to be critical going forward now.
0: Sage, and welcome advice and a comprehensive local and global picture. Dennis Hobson, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. In just a moment, we'll talk to Investec Treasury economist Tertia Jacobs about South African inflation that's now edging closer to the Reserve Bank's upper limit. But a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Now, consumer price inflation has risen to 5.9%, although it's still within the Reserve Bank's 3 to 6% target, it is getting very close to breaching its ceiling. I have with me now Tersha Jacobs, Investec's Treasury economist, to give us a better understanding of these numbers. Tersha, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Let's start with a simple one. Why has inflation accelerated? What are the key factors behind this?
2: Good morning, Jeremy. Yes, the big driver of inflation since the end of last year has been the acceleration in food and fuel prices and, of course, also a pickup in food prices. So
0: going forward then, how do we look over the next couple of months?
2: The next couple of months has a very high level of uncertainty attached to it. At the end of March, government announced that they will subsidise the fuel price by one rand fifty per litre. So the key issue then is where is the oil price and the rand going to settle in June? Because if the oil price remain at current levels, it means that either we're going to get another steep increase in the fuel price, or government have to continue. Continues selling some of its strategic oil reserves um, to generate revenue to subsidise the under recovery on the slate, and then secondly, with food prices also driven by higher transport costs, there is upside risk. inflation. So one of the key dynamics we're going to monitor in coming months is where core inflation is heading, especially in the context of public sector and private sector wage negotiations that are taking place. So Tersha,
0: simplify this for me if you can. You mentioned core inflation. We know that headline inflation has an impact on core inflation. That is the cost of goods and services, if I'm not mistaken. We know core inflation is standing at around 3.8%. The Reserve Bank is forecasting it to rise to 5% next year. Where then are your concerns around this?
2: So the Reserve Bank targets four and a half percent for inflation. Now, the concern then comes from when headline inflation stays relatively high for a protracted period of time, that that starts feeding into higher inflation expectations. So that in turn could lead to higher wage price inflation. And that, of course, you know, when you see that in conjunction with high input costs arising from, you know, the acceleration in commodity price, that can start to exert pressure on corporate margins. So the question then is to what extent will corporates continue to absorb higher costs or will they start to widen their margins, which could lead to propagating inflation higher.
0: So that then leads on to monetary policy. So we look at the specter then of rising inflation. How is this going to impact on the Reserve Bank's focus, its strategy going forward?
2: So that is one of the key dynamics that will unfold in coming months. Now, the big difference so far between, you know, South Africa and the rest of the world has been that our inflation rate has been more contained and that afforded the Reserve Bank some space not to hike interest rates as many of the other emerging central banks did in 2021. But now with inflation at 5.9%, as you pointed out, and expected to rise to more than 6 percent in coming months, the Reserve Bank will continue to hike interest rates with the repo currently at 4.5 percent. But now we also know that the Reserve Bank looks at inflation like 12 months down the line. So they see then headline inflation, which includes food and fuel inflation, to return to about four and a half to five percent because they expect the oil price to, you know, recede to about $90 per barrel. But then the question is, where core 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 inflation is heading because at the moment, as you also pointed out, core inflation is heading to 5%. So that is actually what is now leading to more rate hikes that the market is pricing in.
0: Now let's close the loop if we can and look at growth. The IMF International Monetary Fund slashing global growth forecasts from 4.4% to 3.6%. However, its economic growth forecast for South Africa remains unchanged from January's forecast 1.9% for 2022, then 1.4% for 2023. How did we manage to escape the chop?
2: So what happened was when forecasts are done, it's always impacted by recent outcoming data and as you may recall fourth quarter GDP was somewhat better than what we anticipated also in the first quarter it looked like fixed investment could be slightly firmer which then resulted in the Reserve Bank raising its GDP forecast from 1.7% to 1.9% and I think the same dynamics are feeding into the IMF's forecast however you know what we're watching now is how the KZ in floods and the load shedding in April are going to play out. So there's definitely downside risks to this type of growth forecast.
0: And two very big risks at that. Tertia, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Always a pleasure. There are positive signs of recovery in the South African tourism industry. The sector was one of the hardest hit by harsh lockdowns due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which resulted in many businesses closing and jobs being lost. Now green shoots are appearing with the latest figures showing an almost 100% increase in income from tourist accommodation, although obviously it is off a low base last year. Let me bring into the conversation now Investec economist Lara Hodes. So, Lara, first of all, some good news for tourist accommodation. Is this, though, a good benchmark for positive signs of recovery in the tourism industry in general, or is there more to it?
3: So there are definitely some signs of improvement. Industry occupancy rates have risen. However, these statistics are coming off an extremely low base. That's the reason for the very high percentage growth numbers. But as I said, there are some positive signs. Obviously, the easing of COVID-linked lockdown restrictions has aided the ease of travel, pent-up demand, lifting of the state of disaster. People are traveling more. Now, and and we are seeing some pickup, up, but there are still risks.
0: So I think the tourism industry will take whatever help it can get at this point. I guess one of the interesting questions is where is the improvement coming from? What's the origin of the tourists? Is it locals who are traveling again, or are we starting to see an uptick of more international visitors?
3: So it's a bit of a mix. So in December, the sector was largely supported by local tourists. At that stage, there were rising Omicron cases globally and uh, the reinstitution of travel bans, especially in the the early part of December. So it was mainly domestic travellers flocking to tourist destinations. But now that restrictions have eased and most of the big international carriers are flying into South Africa, we are seeing definitely an uptick in foreign travellers. So looking at the latest stats provided by Statistic SA's Tourism and Migration Report, there was a significant... Significant year on year climb in the number of tourists entering the country, over 150% year on year in January. So, the majority of our international travelers continue to stem from the SADC region. Those arriving from overseas nations grew by over 300%, again, off an extremely low base. Mm. An increase in travelers from the UK and Germany, in particular, was evident.
0: So you referenced the Omicron virus. Let's talk about trajectory now if we can. We know that the COVID lockdowns were utterly brutal to the tourism sector, but we've seen the national state of disaster being lifted. Is it too early to say that the tourism sector could return to pre-pandemic levels maybe a little sooner than anticipated?
3: There's definitely some positive signs. The lifting of the state of disaster has, of course, improved the ease of travel. But there are still multiple risks out there. There's still a degree of cautious behaviour globally, with COVID still very much in circulation. We've seen our local cases increasing in um, Shanghai, has had severe lockdown restrictions in place. There's also the rising geopolitical tensions with the conflict in Eastern Europe, which has put a damper on confidence. And the IMF recently downgraded their global growth forecasts, which isn't great for consumers in general. So there definitely are a lot of external risks. And additionally, domestically, SA is a very attractive tourism destination, but We do have a lot of issues to resolve to improve our country as a destination for foreigners. We've got a lot of structural issues and crime is a a big impediment. Returning to pre-pandemic levels is still going to take a long time. And I think it's still in line with what people were suggesting earlier, a good few years
0: And then, of course, Lara, you've also got to deal with the unexpected, haven't you? A little earlier, I was talking to Dennis Hobson on the impact of the flooding in KwaZulu-Natal and the specific uh, impact on supply chains. There's no doubt that the tourism sector in the province will have its own very difficult and tragic story to tell.
3: Yes, definitely. So KwaZulu-Natal, obviously a key tourist destination in this country, was recently, or July last year, was at the center of the, devastating riots and unrest, which hindered travel to the province then. And now the most recent floods, severely affecting infrastructure, led to numerous cancellations over the all-important Easter weekend, which was another blow to the province, leading to millions of brands in lost revenue for the tourism sector. So when I was talking about the numerous risks the tourism industry faces, climate change is definitely one of those risks.
0: And that's where we are going to leave it. Lara, as always, thank you very much for the insightful contribution and for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday.
3: It's a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you.
0: Please join us again on the 11th of May as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Mags, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.